Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Stealing is a bit bigger than simply the issue of property. If I break into your house and take something that belongs to you, I have stolen from you. In fact, what I've really done is I've deprived you of something that rightfully belongs to you. In Scripture, theft is viewed not only as a crime, but also as a very serious sin issue. There is the story of Rebekah and Jacob and how they plotted and stole Esau's birthright in Genesis 27. And the story of Achan, who stole devoted goods after the fall of Jericho in Joshua 7. And how Ahab and Jezebel plotted together and stole Naboth's vineyard, 1 Kings 21. And in the New Testament, in Luke's second book, the Acts of the Apostles, in the fifth chapter, how Ananias and Sapphira stole from God and were struck dead. We are in a series on the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, we've been calling them. And this is number eight. Exodus 20, verse 15, do not steal. And so this message could go in many different directions. I mean, we could talk about contentment. We could talk about materialism. We could talk about stewardship. We could talk about generosity. We could talk about charging excessive interest on loans. All valid. But in our context this morning, and let me, let me say that we have first responders in our congregation, EMS, technicians, fire, and peace officers as part of our church family here. And we stand with them. We respect them. We appreciate the hard work that they do. They are fine men and women. And I am not picking them or any other group out. But as followers of Jesus, I believe we all need to consider this in our context. A great theft has occurred. Something big has been stolen. Some in our country have been deprived of something which rightfully belongs to them. And as God's family, we must never get weary of standing for the oppressed, for those who are being deprived. It's the good thing to do, the right thing to do. Many of us can trace how our ancestors came to this continent, to this country. Maybe you were inspired by the TV show, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, or maybe, maybe uh, you're involved in online with Ancestry.com. Some arrived here boldly. Some arrived here humbly. But in 1619, 404 years ago, 20 African slaves were brought to Jamestown, Virginia. And during the 16 and 1700s, millions of slaves would enter the new world or natives be enslaved. They were stolen. Stolen by the millions. 
Following the Revolutionary War, the newly formed U.S. Constitution in 1788 acknowledged slavery, deeming slaves three-fifths of a person. Their rights and their humanity were robbed, <laughs> stolen. And sadly, sadly, church people, churches, gave theological permission for this, saying things like slavery stands as an institution of God. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln, the president at the time, issued the Emancipation Proclamation declaring the freedom of slaves within the Confederate States. The end of the Civil War brought us the 13th Amendment in 1865, officially ending slavery in the United States. Slavery ended. But that did not change the hearts did not end the problem of denying the black community their rights. Much of the progress that was made afterwards was erased by an era known as Jim Crow, vestiges of which I recall in my childhood. Their rights were stolen. They were deprived of what was rightfully theirs. So history provides some perspective but where are we today? As is always good, we go back to the beginning. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, Scripture says, And then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, a living being. And even as this decade began, the breath of God, given by God, was taken, stolen from the lungs of a man named George Floyd and from numerous others since then. Well, what should we do? Well, it's my observation that protests start and then they end. People go home. You know, preaching on giving would be less controversial than this. But I am speaking to my church family about what I know the scriptures teach. That loving people like Jesus means you're going to be controversial at times. That if we are to be a church for the unchurched, a church for those disconnected from God and family, then, then most likely our body is going to look like our neighborhood, like our community. You remember in this series that the movement of the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, is that the first four are all about your horizontal relationship with God. The last six are about your relationship with other human beings. It is a summary of the entire law. And then Jesus does this amazing thing as recorded by Matthew in the 22nd chapter. He sums up the Big Ten with the greatest two that we just sang. Now, what's happening in the context of Matthew 22? Well, you have these religious Pharisees and Sadducees who form a political alliance to entrap Jesus. They come together against a common enemy, Jesus. And they ask him that question, 
trying to trick him of all the commandments. Which one's most important? Which one's greatest? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on, summed up by, these two commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Relationship with God. Relationship with others. The religious leaders hated this answer. They just absolutely hated this because it, what does it mean? It meant you could not pick and choose who you wanted to treat right, to love. Imagine that. Jesus was controversial by telling people to love their neighbors. And so if we're going to be controversial, let it be for loving the color of our community. We can't be colorblind. It's impossible. We see color. And I, I commend you for the many ways in which you embrace that. It was the best gift that we received from the Joy Bus Ministry. You can explain that to your kids later. A ministry, uh, particularly in the 70s and 80s, that Lisa and I were part of, beginning here in this city, on the north side of this city. It brought us engagement and sharing and loving and giving to those who didn't look like us. And any number of you are a part of this congregation, the Norrises, the Pagets, Greenleys, Curtins, Stevensons. And it still marks us. Lisa even has an adopted brother of color who came about through her family's active participation in the lives of others through a joy bus ministry in the and on the coast of Texas. We don't need to apologize for seeing white and black and brown and all shades. Jesus, we know simply by the fact of who he was humanly, was a dark-skinned man. And it's okay to see him that way. But what should set us apart is seeing, is seeing that our ethnicity is not a dividing line, but rather it's a reflection of the kingdom of God. What the church must be, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, is salt and light in a world system that would rob any ethnicity of their rights. And we do this because... Every per we believe that every person conceived has God-given dignity because everyone is created in the image of God. We see color, and we love the color of our community because we know what the prophet Malachi said is true. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't, God, didn't one God create all of us? Then why do we act treacherously against one another? Ultimately, ultimately, there's really only one race. It's the human race. 
We celebrate the richness of color and culture at the same time recognizing the sameness of our race. And what we see in God's mission is accomplished through the good news of Jesus. It pulls together different cultures, different languages, different uh, ethnicities, and brings them together in one body. And so our modern idea of race is a man-made idea. It's a social construct rooted not in Scripture, but in human thought. And in fact, we find the opposite in Scripture. The, as the Apostle Paul explained in Athens, Greece, as he addressed the council, the Areopagus Council in Acts 17, God himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all peoples, all nations throughout the whole earth, and he decided beforehand when we should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And the prophet Isaiah speaks to the same thing in Isaiah 56, 7. I will bring them, the nations, to my holy mountain and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, all nations. Church, we are far people. We are far, all people, all nations, because God is. Who does God want to bring into his family? Who does God want to rejoice with him in prayer? It's all people, all nations. When Jesus cleansed the temple, as recorded by Mark, he quotes this same passage, Isaiah 56, 7. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left. It was late afternoon, and then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. The next morning, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices, knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the, the scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus is angry. You can see it in his demonstrative actions. But it is not a moment of rage. Did you notice that? It was the next day. After he came in and he saw it all, it was the next day after thinking about it, no doubt praying about it, he goes in and makes a statement, turning over the tables. Well, why did he do that? Look, you have to imagine and see this in your mind's eye. The temple complex wasn't some little church building. It was, 30, it was a 35-acre campus, magnificently large. People walked through the temple complex instead of around it. So merchants had set up shop. So now in the what was known as the court of the Gentiles or the court of the nations was all this commercial activity going on preventing, preventing the, the people from all nations 
from praying, from worshiping God. So Jesus says, you've made it into a den of thieves, robbers. Not because necessarily of dishonest dealings, although we know that was going on, but because the religious elite had robbed, had stolen from people, from people who were not Jews, from the nations, the people on the margins of society, he had stolen true worship. There was no space for them to worship God. Jesus is demonstrating how he wanted all people to come to know him and how he ultimately is the way for all people to come to God. Therefore, we should love our community, the color of our community, because it reflects heaven. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation is a beautiful thing. As John reveals in Revelation 5:9, and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. What the world system we live in would divide, the good news will unify. What the world discriminates against and, and segregates, God joins together. So that John, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, says, I, After this I saw a vast crowd, a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, people in language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb that we just sang about, because it is God who determines the boundaries of Christ's family, and he has made it very clear that we are to welcome the world to our table. So we support those who can't breathe because we know the one who gives the breath of life. To do less would be to rob God of his glory. And what John revealed in the book of Revelation, as we've just read and other places, we're going to sing about. And if you don't know the Lamb, and if you've not been redeemed by the blood, and if you've never embraced the gift of God's life for, for eternity to, given to you, then we would love to help you take that next step. Kern will be down here with me. Ken Rainwater's up in the balcony, and Charles is in the prayer room if you'd like some privacy in that. But we're going to stand together and sing what scriptures teach and praise God with it as we stand. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others.